Well, good morning, everyone. Again, uh, at this time, let's just uh, open with a word of prayer, as we always do. And Father, we thank you for this uh, beautiful day, and just pray that uh, as we now turn to your text to look at the parables again, I pray that you give us a deeper understanding, uh, that we would have those ears to hear, um, and we know your truths. And we just thank you and praise you, and help that Pray that you give us understanding and wisdom throughout this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, As I said, we're going to be turning uh, yet again to another parable. It's going to be in Matthew 13 again. If you remember, the last one we did was the sower and the seed. And we took quite a bit of time to do that. And now we're going to be looking at the parable uh, of the weeds. And so before we dive into the text, let us just read it. It's going to be chapter 13 in Matthew, verse 24. And it says, He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds uh, among the wheat and went away. So when the weeds appeared... uh, And so when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. He said to them, uh, So the servants said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. And so quite the lengthy uh, parable here, and we are going to finish this in one week. Much like the parable of the sower that we looked at, there's actually an explanation that Jesus gives about this parable later on. That's going to be in verses 36 through 42. And so we'll be looking at them together to see what this parable is about. Ultimately, one thing I have to note that we have to be careful of yet again is mixing parables together. Uh, it's amazing when I was reading, you know, different commentaries on this thing, how many correlations they make, particularly between this one and the sower and the seeds, because you have a few similarities. You have the fields, you have the seeds, you have the son of man or a sower. And so there are a lot of similarities, but you need to be very careful in taking those and mixing them together. And so, when we're looking at this parable, we kind of need to look at it as its own entity, even though there are similarities between them. The first thing we're going to look at is a destructive enemy. That is my first point. A destructive enemy. And that's going to be in verses 24 through 26. So again, he put another parable before them, saying, "...the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field." But while his men were sleeping, the enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore, uh, so when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. Now the correlating text to this one is turned to uh, verse 37. It's going to be 30, actually 6 through 39. And so it says, Then he left the crowds and went 
to the house, and the disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the ways of the field. Now, they did need an explanation of this parable, but they did understand what the parable was about by the way they answered, they asked the question. Explain to us the parable of the weeds. And so they properly understood that this parable was mainly talking about the weeds, and they wanted an explanation on that. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. And so Jesus really just pretty much outlines who everyone is right there in that passage. So there really is no need to clarify anything. He just tells them this is who the characters are in the parable and what they correlate to. And so you have the sowing of the good seed first in verse 24, right? It starts out by a man who sowed good seed in his field. Uh, When you're thinking of this, we have to see this as the Son of Man. This is a representation of Jesus Christ spreading uh, his good seed, that is, us believers throughout the world. Then you have the good seeds, as I said, right? He clarifies it's the sons of the kingdom. Uh, That's those who believe in Christ. And so you can just picture, this is a picture of Jesus spreading his disciples across the world or the field. And so he clarifies the field is the world in verse 38. And I have to really point out that there's really no reason to see it as anything other than the world. When you read a bunch of commentators, it's amazing how many will quickly say that the field is the church. Um, And partly for the reason with this thinking is the field was the church and then Jesus spread his good seed into the world, and that world became then the church, right? Because at this point in time in the parable, there's only the field and the good seed, and so now it's the church. And you might say, well, why is this all important? In my opinion, Jesus tells us that it is the world, and if he was going to clarify it as the church, he would have probably explained it as the field is the church in a world or something like that. But no, all he tells us is in verse 38, that the field is the world. And so there's two ways you can view this, right? If you picture it as the church, then the bad seed coming into the church, right? That is the world coming into the church. But really this parable is a picture of God spreading his children into the world, uh, not the world in the church. Hopefully that makes sense. So, we see that the world uh, has good seed all through it. And this is uh, something that even Jesus tells us later on. Uh, in Matthew twenty four fourteen, he says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. And so this is a picture, right? The field is the world, and that good news is spread all over the world. So, we have the sowing of the good seed, and then you have the sowing of the weeds in verse 25. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. 
Now we see that the enemy is the devil in verse 39 because he tells us that's who it is. And he does this while they were sleeping. Um, This doesn't imply any um, negative thoughts towards the workers who were working. Uh, This simply implies that he came in at night. He did it sneak. Uh, He was sneaking around, and he sowed the bad seed. This weeds here is called bearded darnell. Uh, And when it says that he sowed weeds, it implies that he was thorough in doing this, that he went through the field and he sowed the weeds. And the interesting thing is enemies sowing weeds was not an uncommon thing for that time period. Uh, Actually, the Romans had a law specifically about people doing that. And so, as Jesus is saying this parable, this is something that they may have even had happen to them, or at least were very familiar with at that point in time. Because you think about it, this is an easy way for your enemy, enemy to make a huge dent in your life. Uh, it really, very little cost to them. There's very little risk involved. They can do it at night, as this guy, the enemy, does. And so the risk of being caught is very little. Um, and you think about how much damage will come when the weeds finally grow. In the least, it creates a lot more work for that worker. Um, not only that, but the weed that they talk about, that bearded darnell, also can grow a fungus on it that is poisonous to humans. So there could be a deadly effect to that as well. Um, so this was, again, something that wasn't super uncommon and people knew about this. We get into actually what the weeds are, and the weeds are the sons of the evil one. Again, uh, it's very convenient that Jesus tells us all these things. Uh, In verse 39, or 38 actually, the weeds are the sons of the evil one. And so, when you're looking at those weeds, there's really two ways I was thinking you can be the sons of an evil one. You can be directly following uh, Satan or the devil. Uh, Maybe you could think of like a Satanist group or those people who deliberately want to follow Satan for whatever reason they have. Uh, That is probably more rare than the second way, which is simply unbelief. Uh, I want you to turn with me to John chapter 8. John chapter 8, verse 39. John 8. Verse 39, and I'm just going to read this quick passage. And they answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works that Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. And so quickly they want to relate to being Abraham's children. He says, no, you aren't Abraham's children because you're not acting like Abraham did, essentially. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. They said to him, we were born not of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. And then verse 43 is where I want to make sure we pay attention. We do, uh, why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of the father, the devil, 
and your will is to do your father's desires. And so they're saying, oh, Father Abraham, right? We all know it's not Father Abraham. So they're saying, right, Abraham is our father. And he's saying, no, you're not his sons. If you were, you would do what Abraham did. And you're not of God either. You are doing what your father is, and that is the devil. Uh, And then he even clarifies, right, Uh, later on in that passage. And so, unbelief, really, right? There's two ways. You can either directly follow Satan or through your unbelief that is not believing in the Father, right? Uh, Because you cannot hear my word, that is, you don't know who I am, you are of the Father, the devil, and your will is to do the Father's desires. Um, all of us at some point in time were of the Father, the devil, right? And it's God who saved us from that and called us into his kingdom. And so those are the weeds. And so I kind of went through those very quickly, um, but we kind of have to get a grasp of just who the characters are in this parable before we can start understanding it. And so we have the final thing, which is the results of the sowing in verse 26, back in our passage in Matthew. Verse 26, um, which is, So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And here we have both. Uh, It says the weeds appeal also. So you have to remember, up until this point, until they grow, there's really no way of knowing that this even happened. Um, It's not like they went out and looked at all the different seeds and were like, oh, this seed's not the right seed. Uh, It's not until they're grown that they realize, oh, there are weeds in amongst the wheat. It is when the plants came up that they realized that the weeds appeared also. And so we have to remember that, again, the field represents the world. And so... We have to remember that Satan works in the world as we know, um, but he also does work in the church as well. Uh, Satan can be very destructive in this world. I think we often forget that. And the thing is, he uses little seeds, little seeds to cause mass destructive, uh, destruction. Uh, and it is the little things. I actually found this little illustration that kind of illustrates it well. It's called those little hurts. It says, termites destroy more property than earthquakes. More fires are caused by matches and cigarettes than volcanoes. More heartaches and sorrow are caused by little words and deeds of unkindness than by open acts of dislike and enmity. And so it's the little things that happen in the church, uh, in the world, uh, that Satan is using to make weeds. Uh, And those little things can be bad uh, theology, uh, enmity among believers, um, different things people say and they take it the wrong way, right? There's a lot of things that happen. Um, But the point is, it's little things that he uses. And the big thing is also he would like to make it look like, look as if they are the same thing as the wheat, right? Up until they're fully grown, as we'll get into They look the same, but they aren't the same. So, 
Uh, I think I forgot actually to say, yeah, the bearded Darnell, if you saw the picture, I think I showed it, um, they look very similar. Actually, they look the same all the way until the wheat has the grain on it, and then you can distinguish the difference between the two. And so, again, this is just part of that problem with if someone's an enemy sows it, you don't know, and you literally don't know until it's fully grown, and then you're like, okay, we have a problem. There's weeds here. So, again, it's the little things that make the biggest difference. Um, So that's the first thing. We have a destructive enemy who comes and plants weeds uh, in the field. And remember, the other thing about this is it's important to remember that there's no, unlike the sower and the seeds, right? There's the different kinds of soils, and I went through all that. Um, The soil is just simply the world. There is no distinguishing between wheats, uh, not in this parable, right? That's not the goal of this one, to say this wheat grows better than this wheat, and so on and so forth. There is just wheat, and there is just wheel, wheat, weeds in the world that is the field. So, we have the destructive enemy, but we have an impetuous servant as well. And so we see this in verses 27 through 29. Uh, And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. They are genuinely asking a question here. How does it have weeds? They want to know. Did you plant those on purpose? Obviously not. It's very interesting. He immediately knows the cause of it. Uh, He knows that he planted good seed. He knows what he's done with the field. He immediately says, nope, this is the work of an enemy. An enemy has done this. And here we see the first thing we got to take away from this. And this is what not to do. Um, and that is to judge the world. And so he told them what not to do. And they said, do you want me to scatter them? They have a quick response to this. They want to try to fix this. Do you want us to gather up the weeds? And his response is, no, I don't want you to do that. See, they had the right idea They had a zeal to protect what their master did. They realized the work that went into this, and they want to protect it. Look, do you want us to get rid of these weeds? That way the wheat can grow. It's a logical conclusion. All of us would probably say that in that instance. Uh, We want to fix everything right then and now. And he simply says no. This really reminds me of an account in Luke. So turn with me there. Luke chapter 9, verse 51. It says, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem, and he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered the village of Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set towards Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? 
Uh, it's kind of a similar response, right? They see a problem, they have this righteous zeal, right? They have the right idea. They see a problem and they want to fix it on their own. They say, why don't we just send fire to consume them all? Uh, very extreme reaction that it might be. Maybe it's because uh, they saw the transfiguration. They were just fired up and ready to go. They knew that could happen. Uh, that is a big thing. They didn't doubt that Jesus could do that if he wanted them to. Um, so their answer is uh, impetuous, as I would say. It was quick. Do you want us to send fire to consume them? And what does Jesus do? He rebukes them. Uh, very slimmer, right? They say, hey, do you want us to gather up all those weeds? Let's just get rid of them. And the master says, no. Same with the disciples. They say, do you want us to just send fire and consume them? And Jesus rebukes them. See, they had the right zeal, that zealousness for God. Um, but what they really needed at that point in time was patience. Uh, they needed to wait to see what Christ was going to do, not what they wanted to have happen. See, they had the apostles, this is, the disciples here, they had a different position in the kingdom of God. They had something else that Jesus wanted them to do, and he tells them that in just a few verses later on, in verse 60. And he said to them, uh, leave the dead to bury their own dead. He was talking to uh, someone, and he says, but as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And that is something that he tells his disciples over and over. That is their description, their job description, so to speak. That's what they were supposed to be doing. Uh, They weren't supposed to be calling down fire to consume a nation or a people. Uh, They were going to proclaim the kingdom of God. Uh, You can think about, actually, uh, I was thinking about the disciples, and they remind me a lot of Jonah more so in that account than anything else. They just wanted to see fire come down and consume them, and they weren't thinking about sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with them. Uh, But that's a lot like us, I think, at times as well. Sometimes I think we want to quickly just judge. We don't want to have the patience to wait it out so we can witness to them, so, so that we can share that good news. Getting back to Matthew, we see that the Master has a very good reason for them not wanting to tear up the weeds. And that is, you might accidentally root up the wheat along with it. So you make a bad situation even worse. And so for us in this day and age, a big reason why we aren't supposed to be the ones who judge is that we can't know with 100% certainty who is and is not a believer. Uh, I've grown up in the church all my life, and there's many people who would say, that person is a true believer. And you know what? They walked away from this faith, so to speak. One of them uh, was a significant leader in the church, and you would never think that he was going to walk away from the faith, yet he did. And on the same side, there are many people who I'd say, they're never going to repent. And yet, God gets into their heart, reaches to them, and they do repent. And so we can never know with 100% certainty who is and who is not a believer. And therefore, 
We aren't to judge, but to share the good news always. And it, you know, it sounds like something new, but it's really not, right? You think about it, Jesus came to this world not to judge people, but to call them to himself the first time. We'll get to the second time soon. So, in Luke, you can think about Luke 23, 34, right? He didn't say, Father, judge them, for they know that what they do when he was dying on the cross, right? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So Jesus, our message should exemplify what Jesus was teaching on this world. And that was to proclaim the good news to all nations, like he told us to do. It's funny, because I was thinking, historically, when people try to judge... It never turns out right. And we've been going through church history, and we just went through the Crusades. And so I was thinking about the Crusades, and that is kind of what they were doing. They said, holy war, right? They thought what they were doing was right. We need to go in and conquer this place and take it over. That happens in 1095, Urbane called the Council of Clermont. They preached, he preached a stirring sermon a horrible tale has gone forth, is what he says, and a cursed race, utterly alienated from God, has invaded the land of Christians and depopulated them by sword, plundering, and fire. He appealed, tear that land from the wicked race and subject it to yourselves, right? He wanted to cast judgment. He was ready for action. Uh, kind of reminds you of the apostles, right? And they all chanted, Dios volt, Dios volt, that is, God wills it, God wills it. And the sad thing is it's impossible to know how many died, but many say it's in the millions, maybe the three to four million. Some estimate as much as nine million throughout all the Crusades. It is said of one battle that they rode in blood up to their bridal reins. And so that is historically what happens when men try to take that judging the world onto themselves. And so we have what we're supposed to do, that is shine a light on the world. It's not necessarily specifically stated in this verse, but again, it's stated so many times elsewhere that we need to remember that we are called to evangelize to this world. Think about it. If we're so busy judging the world in the Crusades, you know, think about the Crusades. They weren't trying to convert them. They weren't trying to tell them about Christ, have them repent of their sins. All they were focused on was destroying them. We can't have that attitude. We need to be distinguishing ourselves from the weeds, and we need to try to be turning those weeds into wheat through the power of the Holy Spirit. So, we have the destructive enemy, an impetuous servant, and we have to get to our last thing, which is, which is a just judge. Uh, and this is really, everything is kind of culminating in this parable up until this point. And he says, let both grow together until the harvest, and at harvest time I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. And so this is the end. This is what he wants to happen, and this is what will happen. 
First of all, we have the reaping of the harvest. It's told in verse 39 that this is the end of the age. This is the end. And the reapers are the angels. And again, this isn't going to be happening by believers. Uh, You're not part of this. This is part of what the angels are going to do through Jesus. So you have the harvest. Now that both have fully grown, both plants have fully developed, you can clearly see the distinction between them. Uh, There is no mistaking the wheat from the weeds. Both are clearly perceived. And you can think this is all about what we learned with the sower, right? A tree is known by its fruit. The fruit is known in the field. And so the reapers get to work. They gather the weeds first and bind them into bundles to be burned. That's verse 30. So judgment day has come. And so let's read what will happen on this in verses 40 through 42. Again, Matthew 13, 40 through 42. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That is what's going to happen at the end of the age. And I'd like to give you another picture of this. So we have to turn to Revelation 14. Revelation 14. Verse 17 here. Just picture this. A very descriptive picture of the end of the age. It says, Then another angel came out of the temple in heaven, and he too had a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, the angel who has authority over fire. And he called with a loud voice, one who had a sharp sickle, Put your put in your sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth. For its grapes are ripe. So the angel swung his sickle across the the earth and gathered the grape harvest of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden outside the city and blood flowed from the winepress as high as a horse's bridle for 1,600 stadia. That is about 184 miles. This is a depiction of the end of the age, particularly what will happen to unbelievers at the end of the age. On Judgment Day, right? He's going to gather them up. He knows the difference between the two. And at this point in time, right, they can clearly perceive, and both are going to be harvested anyways, speaking about the parable. So if he roots up the wheat along with it, they can still separate them, and both are good. They're going to go where they're meant to. And he's going to throw them into that firing furnace. Interestingly enough, the Jewish people uh, never used fire as a way of um, punishment. Uh, They were familiar with it. Uh, Many people used it on them, but it wasn't something that they have had for punishment within themselves. And so this is going to be a fiery furnace, and we can learn... A lot about that through Scripture. 
particularly Revelation 20, verse 10, where it says, And the devil and all who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beasts and the false prophets were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Uh, Not somewhere pleasant, not somewhere you want to be. And I'll get to the, while we're doing, why I'm hitting so hard on all of this, but also I want to turn to Second Thessalonians 1, 8-9, which says, I'll just read it, In flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus, they will suffer punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. And again, I know you weren't waking up in the morning thinking you were probably going to be learning about this. About how there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That weeping is mental anguish. The struggle that's going to be happening and the gnashing of teeth is the physical pain that will be dealt for those. And so... It's important for us to remember what's at stake. I think sometimes we live this life just kind of, oh yeah, I'm a Christian, no big deal. And we see other people and we say, oh yeah, they still, you know, I meant to evangelize to that person, but I haven't in a while. And I think it's good for us to remember what is at stake. We have the wheat also, and it says, but the wheat will be gathered into my barn. It is only during this time that he says, then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. See, once all the weeds have been taken out, then they will shine like the sun. It is when the unrighteousness is gone, then those who are righteous through Christ will shine. Then this is much like Daniel prophesied. You don't have to turn there, but in Daniel 3, he says, And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. And so once that unrighteousness is gone, then the righteous shine. And this is the glory of God. We shine through him for his glory. Uh, And then at this point in time, he will also rule over all. Again, we see this in Daniel 7, which says, I'll just read it. And I saw night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, one that shall never be destroyed. And so that is the end of the age, right? We will shine like the brightness of the sky above. And then he ends this parable. I know we went through a fairly big parable with an explanation fairly quickly. So hopefully I was clear. He ends this with saying, He who has ears, let him hear. That is in Matthew 13, after the explanation in verse 43. And so the question is, can you hear? 
When I think about this parable, you in this parable are one of two options. You are either the wheat, which I pray you are, or you are the weeds, which I pray you realize you need to turn into the wheat. Uh, You need to repent and turn to him who can save you from that, uh, that destruction, eternal destruction that is away from the presence of the Lord. But if you are the wheat, uh, hopefully all of you here are, that's a good reminder that we need to be a light, uh, that Jesus is coming back again and he will judge the world, which is great. We long for that day, but in the meantime, we need to be actively sharing that good news of Jesus Christ. Remember what's at stake, right? The Son of Man will send his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all sin and all lawbreakers and he will throw them into the fiery furnace and in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And as you remember what's at stake for others, remember and appreciate that which God called you out of, that he did grant you mercy and grace, right? If we don't ever look at what he saved us from, we won't ever appreciate just what he did for us on the cross. It is that eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord that he called you out of, purely out of his mercy and grace, right? It makes that mercy, he gave you that which you don't deserve, and grace so much more than you deserve. Hopefully you realize just the extent of those words. I'm going to end this time with a quick passage in Mark. And we're all probably familiar with that, hopefully. Mark 16. Right at the end there, right? We have the Great Commission, and then Mark 16, 15. And then he said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel of the whole of creation. That is what we are called to do. That is what we need to be doing. We need to be doing it all the time. Uh, This isn't something we just do when the church has an event that is for outreach, right? This is something you do at your job, when you're with your family, when you're with your friends, when you're at school, whatever it is. This is something you always do. You go into all the world and proclaim the good news to all of creation. And I like this verse because it also has what's at stake. Whoever believes in me and baptized will be saved. And that is what we are aiming for. And those who ever does not believe will be condemned. And so keep that in the back of your mind. The positive is they will be saved. And the bad is going to be that they will, some will be condemned. So in light of this, we need to be as the, the apostles. So verse 19 here in Mark, it says, So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked within them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs, right? That's what we need to go do. We need to go out and preach everywhere we go. There should be a certain urgency that we have, right? We are wheat among weeds. We need to, through the Holy Spirit, see them as weeds 
and proclaim the good news, that they don't have to stay in that position. They don't have to stay in that darkness. There is a light, and that light is Jesus Christ and the sacrifice he paid on the cross. So we need to have that urgency. Uh, We need to be that light in a dark place. And remember all the while that eventually Jesus will come back. And he will, then we will shine like the sun, right? And so at this point in time, we still need to, it's a time to shine is why I label this sermon, because that is what we need to be doing, shining a light in this dark world. And so with that, let's close in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this time that we had to look at this sermon, uh, this parable, uh, to see the parable of the weeds uh, and have a certain urgency in sharing the good news, knowing that uh, you will come again and you will judge the world uh, and that there's only two things we can be, either wheat or wheat. And I pray that if anyone... Uh, does not know you here, that they would uh, quickly seek to know you, that they would ask someone here. Uh, And for those who are weak, I pray that we would have a certain urgency, a boldness, uh, that we know these truths and can can proclaim them to all the world. And I just pray that we would do that through your strength and your wisdom and your truth. And we just thank you and praise you for everything you do for us. In Jesus' name, amen.